0: We're looking tonight primarily at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. The primarily, because I want to look backwards for a few moments and include in our text the first two verses of this chapter, it has much to do with the text we're looking at tonight. So once again, this is the Word of God. Let's hear what He has to say, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and then 25 and following. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that we might present the church to Himself. As men shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, that the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessings upon our understanding of your word tonight we pray that it might have an effect upon us, not only in enlarging and strengthening our understanding of the text, but, Father, we pray that you would press it upon us, cause us to, to believe, strengthen us by it. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You can see from the connection that Christ is spoken of ha- as having with the church as the Apostle Paul writes about the church and how... Christ is the head of the church, but Christ is also uh, the one who is over the church. And we as husbands are to be in like fashion men who are committed to loving our wives in a similar way. Now, I started to mention last week, but because I got distracted, I didn't finish it. Uh, But it, it fits better with the part of the text we're in tonight at any rate, that when I first remember coming across this text... Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I thought, well, this boy's not getting married. There's no way that I can pull off that kind of love. Uh, But, of course, it was not requiring of me that. Uh, I, in my best days, doing my best deeds, find that all that I do is still touched with sin. I am a depraved sinner, so I'll not pull it off. I couldn't then. I can't now. Uh, But it is something to note that we are reminded that God loves His people, and that is a picture for us. And, of course, one of the reasons we have struggles with figuring out uh, what it means for me to love my wife is because we have messed so much with the love of God for His people and the love of God's people for God, we have such a, a twisted, warped view of what it means to have a relationship with God. And so everything is just silly little to boyfriend Jesus music, ridiculous kinds of attitudes towards worship and what I'm supposed. What does love look like? Well, it, it's, it's when you feel this tingle going up your backbone, and it just makes you feel all warm and cuddly on the inside. Uh, it, it, is that what love is? Well, certainly when the Bible speaks about loving God, it speaks about obeying God, of being faithful to God. And yes, there is an emotional aspect to our humanity that plays out in our relationship with God as well as in our relationships with others. But it is not all that there is, and we must look broader. And so in verse 21, we read, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not walking back in any fashion the things that are about to be said and the things that have been said. Submitting to one another is the broad category. Now the Apostle Paul has taken in hand the task of saying, okay, we are to be a people submitted, but what does that look like? Well, it looks like we are submitted to each other based upon our relation with each other so that those who are superiors are to care for those who are inferiors, and those who are inferiors, those who are are to be cared for, but also to show... diligent diligent care and respect for those that are over them. And so tonight we'll be looking at loving our wives uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, We want to look at why does Christ love the church and how does Christ love the church. In the same way we want to talk about the flesh, that we are one flesh with our brides and therefore we are to leave our parents and we'll look at that as well. So, In verse 25, where we read the introduction to this little section, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are continuing 5, 1 and 2, of course, and we are looking at that which is required of us, which is to love our wives. Ephesians 2 mentions that, John 4, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, this is applicable to a number of other sins that we might have and hold against our brothers and sisters in Christ or that we might have and hold against God himself. That the center of this declaration that John makes in the chapter 4 is that you can't say you love God and live contrary to that which God has required of you. And so, likewise, we can't say that we love our wives and still at the same time be mean and abusive and whatever else sin we might be bent towards. It is just not the nature of love. Love carries with it its its own uh, definition in the sense of it looks like something. It's not just an empty feeling, but rather it is that which... We are called to do in our faithfulness, our good works, our love of Scripture, our transformed life. All of these things speak to our love of our God and then likewise point us in the right direction to talk about our love uh, for our brides. Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This was Christ's answer to the question, well, uh, what is the great commandment? Well, it is to love God. What else? What else is the great part of the great commandment? What is the second great commandment? It is to love your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, then you will certainly love your wife. And the basis for that is not because you have felt a warm feeling, but rather because you have come to know and understand and care for. And by God's grace, a, a relationship has developed, and you love your wives. No, excuse me, wife. Uh, <laughs> I was in Africa for a moment there. So a couple of questions as we talk about that. Um, why, why does Christ love the church? I mean, you, you look at the church, and even on good days in good churches, uh, there, there's no difficulty finding sinners. In fact, the whole of us gathered together is just one wonderful pile of sinners. So uh, why does God care for us? Why does he love the church? It's not because we're really, 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 really good and special, uh, because God has given the church, the elect, to His Son, John chapter 6, and because God has redeemed and reconciled His people, Romans chapter 4, that is, because they are made lovely by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are made lovely because we are shaped into the image of God, because we have been brought nigh unto God. We have been made family members. It is the work of God's redemption that makes us irresistible to God. So, uh, Romans chapter 4, because God has redeemed us and has reconciled his people, that is because they are made lovely by the death of Christ. That is, the lie of Satan that we are not loved gives way to a sure reality of Christ's death for us, that indeed we are loved because of who we are and what we are and how God has made us, not only in creation, but as he has continued to work on us throughout generations. Through it. I don't mean to make that sound like it's an evolutionary thing, but throughout the years, over and over again, we see God working as he calls men and women to himself, as he changes them into the image of Christ, more so every day by the grace of his means, Uh, The Father's love is poured out upon us because it is declared, as we read in John 3.16, that because the Father's love for us, He sent His only Son to die for us. And So, why does Christ love the church? Because He has chosen her. Because He has made her His own people. Because He has continuously worked at transforming them into more so the image of God than they were before. Secondly, how how does Christ love the church? What does the love of Christ look like? I mean, when you begin to pour through the scriptures, and, and you know, when you start asking questions out in public, or listening to people talk religion in public, uh, that uh, and if that sounded a little derogatory, it was meant to. Uh, when you look at people and see how they think of religion, and how they talk about loving God and loving Jesus, and you begin to think. Well, what, what is that made up of? What, what are they thinking that loving God means? What, what is the uh, heart of what the Bible says? Again, we go back to the Scriptures. What does the Bible say when it talks about our love for our spouses and each other and for the world and the people within the world? And what does it say when we talk about Christ and how he loved the church? What was his relationship with the church? Three things just for our look tonight. And as it relates to our understanding of how husbands are to love their wives, the first is, of course, sacrificially. He speaks about this in a number of places, um, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. Now, that is the only, not the only place that Scripture speaks about love, but it is a good place to begin to kind of lay out before ourselves what love looks like that we are caring for the other person, that we're not arrogant or rude, we do not insist on our own way, but rather give way to others. Now, that, of course, does not mean that if my way uh, is right and someone else's way is obviously clearly sinful, we're not saying, oh, no, no, go, go ahead, shoot the gun. Uh, if that's what you think is right, I don't want to get my preference in way of your preference. Uh, but here is giving a general description of the nature of love and calling us to give consideration to it, even as Christ did sacrificially lay down His life for the church. He has put aside His own glory for a moment, and He humbled Himself unto death. Shorter Catechism speaks of His humiliation as this, born into a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the cross being buried under death's power for a season. This is what it meant, that Christ came and humbled himself, that he took upon himself human flesh, that he laid aside the obvious declaration of his glory, which would have been seen in his person, and he then humbles himself through the sad and horrific adventure of death on the cross and burial. And so, what is it? What is it that we see when we talk about, well, Christ loved the church? You cannot but help to to begin there and to say, well, this is what he did. This is the evidence he has laid before all of mankind that we might be assured that he does love his people. He died for his people. How can we not understand that he loves his people? In verse 26... That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. He's talking about the church now and Christ sanctifying the church. But he, in a few moments, will twist that over and turn that over to, well, this is what it means to love your wife. And so, what is meant by the washing of water and the Word? I think he's talking here about baptism as it speaks of uh, pollution and the, the overcoming of sin's dominion by the water of baptism. And the Word is the preaching of the Word. As man hears God's Word, as he uh, believes in God's Word, this is indeed the means by which uh, God draws people to Himself and in so doing sanctifies them, makes them to be more like Himself. The good that is for her, as we talk about her good, the church, the good that is for the church by Christ's work of sanctification is the work of free grace where we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin. And so when we think about Christ and His love of the church, what does that look like? Well, of course it looks like sacrifice laying down His life. And yes, it looks like His cleansing and making her whole and beautiful, without spot, without sin, holy before God. And it is that she is made good By Christ's work of sanctification, again, the means of grace applied. And so, as we talk about loving your wives, then it must most certainly involve your involvement in the life of your wife, your involvement in the encouragement of the use of God's Word, the attendance to worship, the manner in which we are faithful to the, the calling to which God has called us, that we are Encouraging each other to die to sin and to live to righteousness. This good that is ours is had by our obedience to God and what He has called us to and provides for us a number of great pleasures and delights of the, the highest kind. It speaks of our assurance of God's love, that we see in His love for us, in His sanctification of us, that He cares for us. 5 5 of Romans. And hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured out upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the peace of conscience in 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the joy of the Holy Spirit in 14.17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then in 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And finally, Philippians one six, For I am sure that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, yes, the Apostle Paul does lay before us an immeasurable and unachievable task. That this is how Christ has loved his church. He has gathered his church together from throughout the world and throughout the ages. He has awakened them from death, awakened them from the sleepiness of their souls, where they had no interest in God's things and in good things. And yet He has stirred up a desire with them within them. He has caused them to hear. He has caused them to believe. And He has brought Himself into such a work in their lives that they are blessed and growing in grace. And have this assurance of love, this peace of conscience, this joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the good that Christ would have done to his bride. And it lays before us not a pattern that might be kept word for word as we think about our wives. But it certainly does lay before us a pattern that ought to be observed as we seek to see them growing in the assurance of God's love for them. In their peace of conscience and so on. And so it is For her good. Now, we might benefit from a a moment or two as we talk about her good. What is her good? Uh, Well, what is the good or that which is to be desired by any believing person? That they might know the Savior better, that they might be faithful in their calling, that they might be able to fulfill that which God has called them to, that they might fit in where God has put them. Uh, So, As we think about our wives, how can we love our wives? Well, there's no crime against chocolates, at least not yet. Uh, But if that is the extent of of your love of your wife, then it certainly is most shallow and empty. What is it that I should love my wife? That I should do that which is best for her soul and for the glory of God that I might encourage her in that direction, seek to enable her in those tasks, help her to understand the calling which God has placed upon her as a mother, as a wife, and as a child of God. It is also that we are to love for God's glory. We love our wife, in fact, all that we do. What does the catechism say, the first question? This is the chief end of man that we, uh, I knew that two days ago. The, the end of man is that we... Okay, a little help here. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Ever. I'm sorry for all the kids that I've disappointed in this moment. So, I enjoy God. I want to glorify God. I want to please God. And so as we talk about our relationship with our wives, how is it that I please God in my relationship with my wife. Well, certainly it involves an eagerness, a willingness, a determination to do that which is to her benefit for the pleasure of God, that she might please God, that her growth and grace might be to God's glory, so that this is our chief desire, our great desire, glorify God, which is to present the bride without spot, And without blemish, which is explained for us, of course, in the Shorter Catechism, the first three. uh, But we will move on from there. Uh, But just to say that whatever the text means, and it does mean something, whatever the text means, it is intended for us to see amongst these words that Paul has piled up for us that husbands are to be so involved in the wives' life that they are making use of the means of grace, encouraging their spouse to them and guiding them in the right direction and seeking to bring praise and glory to God because that is why we are here. And so, for her good and for God's glory and in order that we might see God praised. And so, in 28 through 33, uh, he goes on to say, in the same way, you're to love your wives. He's Speaks in verse twenty-eight by saying those very words. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. They are heirs together of grace. Peter reminds us in six-seven, chapter three. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, love your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman who is as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you and the, of the grace of the life so that your prayers may not be hindered and so peter says did not abraham call did not sarah call abraham lord now you you know and i know that we're not talking about lord god almighty abraham uh, we're talking about a sign of respect a sign of submission unto her husband, and you may be thinking, well, my husband's no Abraham, uh, and you're absolutely right. Uh, but you are not encouraged and asked uh, to be obedient, as, as we mentioned last week, based upon the perfections of the husband, uh, because there are none of us that make that. We are asked to do this by God, and God is a sufficient reason for us to heed and obey our husbands as it is the same that the will of God declared to us is a sufficient reason that we should love our wives. No one has perfect wives. No one has perfect husbands. These are sayings and things that we hear everybody all the time saying. Sometimes it's with, well, nobody's perfect as an excuse to be a little more imperfect. Uh, but that is not what I intend for this to be saying or in communicating uh, to you. But in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. They are heirs to grace together. They are one body. But this one flesh, as this one flesh, we love our wives as we love our own body. No one hates themselves. Now you're thinking, I know someone that does. Or maybe you're thinking, I know someone that should. But uh, (laughs) no one hates themselves in the sense that even when we see twisted reactions, uh, people hurting themselves. You say, well, they're certainly not loving themselves. Well, there still is a, a selfish, sinful motive behind these things, and not to make light w- about it or in any, any fashion indicate a lack of compassion for people who are caught in these kinds of sins. Uh, we must recognize that, that the, their twisted version of love is, is still a version of love, and that as they are driven for one sinful reason or another to relieve pain or to somehow gather or or gain the compassion or or help of other people. There's some selfish motive there, and we don't want to spend too much time going down that track, but we are told here that no one ever hated his own flesh, but he's interested in him. He's interested in himself. Um, He's interested in those things that people might do for him or how he might control them or how he might have an advantage over them. Each seeks to nourish his own body, just as Christ does the church, to protect, to lead, to instruct. These are things that are indicated for us throughout the Scriptures as we talk about our wives. How do I love my wife? I, I protect her in as far as I am able. I seek to lead her, to instruct her. Now, that doesn't mean I come down, because it didn't go over very well the first time when I came down for Bible time and was wearing my robe and, you know, had this long set of notes to go through. No, it really not that weird, but it was a journey. Uh, our background, our, our past uh, did not include connections with parts of the Reformed community that would have any insight at all as to family devotions or family reading. Um, so we more or, less, more or less limped along as time moved on. But what is the husband's role? What does it look like to love your wife? Well, to protect, to lead, to instruct. And that instruction is just an ongoing daily encouraging in the Word of God and calling one to look to that which God has spoken and what God has said. Uh, We are to have one agenda. We're to be on the same team. Uh, We are... Not as, excuse me, not, not as with a child, but with co-heirs. We are not seeking to dominate and to harm and to bruise and to abuse and to be harsh or cruel in any fashion. But even as a, a good boss at a, at a place of work would be a man of character and treat his employees right and fair and just. So we are to treat our wives with that kind of an attitude and action. Uh, for they are co-heirs with us but there is a distinction made by the apostle concerning the nature of our relationship with our wives and he has declared god has declared who it is that is to be the head of the home who it is that to lead and make those decisions now not every decision need to be a matter of great concern and and working trying to work out every little thing together and uh, and yet uh, when it comes to, well, who is setting the course and the direction of this family? Who is calling the shots on the, when the shot must be called? Well, God has said it must be man. Has it always proved to be a wonderful success? No, because we're sinners and we're constantly like Adam, pushing back and, oh, whatever you want, dear. Uh, that's fine with me, you know. Happy home, happy wife, happy home which is a horrible little saying. It may have some bits of truth to it, but we do not seek to make our wives happy so our home can be happy. We seek to address the reasons why our home is not happy and deal with them in a biblical, faithful fashion. Christ does, so we too must love our brides since we are one body because we are members of his body. In verses 31 through 33, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Therefore, leave your parents Uh, again, to the kids. That's probably not right anytime soon. Uh, But it is normal that as we grow up, I mean, I remember our our kids when they were six, seven, or eight, and they would say, oh, we're going to live with you forever. And we're thinking, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. But as, as we talk about that, as we talk about man leaving, he is simply telling us this is how life works. Uh, the marriage bond does not set aside our duties to our parents and others, but it does certainly reorder them. You don't on the day after your wedding say, Hey, Mom, Dad, we're, we're gone. We'll see you, maybe, and break off a relationship with your parents because you're now married. But it certainly does change the order of priority that we should be attentive to. Uh, the married are to be seen as one person, Genesis chapter 2. Uh, the great mystery that he talks about in verse 32 that is profound, he says, is saying that that refers to Christ and to the church. Um, that is, that which cannot be fully explained by by any, that is, the the union between and the full understanding of the flesh, of the nature of our union with Christ, is a great mystery. Uh, the mystery of the union with Christ and his church, which sets us up to understand somewhat of the mystery of the two becoming one, the once hidden but now revealed. The point is that Christ breathes into his church his own life and power and the connection that he wants us to make as we look through this text as he moves back and forth between Christ and the church and the husband and his wife is that we are, as Christ cared for His church and does continue to do so, so husbands are to love their wives. Love because God said so. God requires it. And it is full of all of these explanations of what love is that fall out upon us throughout the whole of Scriptures, telling us that love is to keep His commandments. Love is to show compassion. Love is to... Fulfill your obligations to that person or those people. And so love, uh, because God said to, it is required. It's not because we're having a good day and I feel really good about you today. Uh, let's hope you can pull it off a good date again tomorrow. Uh, that is not at all the case. We get up in the mornings and we love our wives because God said to. If there's sin in the mess, if, sin, if something needs to be addressed, it should, ought, certainly ought to be addressed. And again, as we talk about husbands and wives and wives obeying their husbands, again, it needs to be said that we understand that 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 in no way can go beyond the borders of the law of God, that we cannot urge or encourage or, or require that our spouses do something that God has already spoken of and has condemned. So we are mindful of that. We are confessing. The husband's love for the wife, love for God's glory. We show off His glory as we love Him and as we love others such as our wives. Love not because she has earned it, but rather because God has indeed called us to it. And God has knit our hearts together. He has made us to fit. He has made us to be one and of one mind. And the differences are not meant to be at war with each other, but are meant to be a blessing to one another. Uh, Wives are told that they are to respect their husbands after this love command of the Apostle Paul. He then kind of dips back into the relationship of the wife and says, respect your husbands. Respect without which there is no willing subjection. Uh, There there is no submission if there is not a respect. And he says this is required. And this, as as you talk to men and women about their marriage and their marriage relationships, this does pop up quite so very often that, uh, that husbands long for their wives' respect. Now, the fact that they may not be getting it doesn't alter the fact that they are still to fulfill their obligations, but it is that which we are requiring of our wives that they give respect to their husbands because God has said to. Uh, it, again, if there is some sin that would Drain your hope of respecting such a person. Deal with the sin. The Bible tells you how. Get counsel with an elder or a pastor. Uh, wives, respect your husbands. Respect even if he seems unworthy, for this is what God has called. Respect not as a lie or as an excuse to aid in the covering of sin. Deal with the sin where it is found, but be faithful. And so, it is not a complex text. There is yet that mystery that the Apostle Paul speaks of as he talks about Christ and Christ's relationship to the church. And there are things that are beyond our ability to fully comprehend. We recognize that as we try to take up that which is infinite and plug it into our little many, finite brains and understand these things. We, we come away just kind of overwhelmed, and this is the nature of this as well. Uh, but how can we grow in our understanding of the church in Christ, and how can we under- grow in our understanding of how husbands and wives ought to interact with each other? Um, Ephesians, back a couple of chapters, chapter 3, verse 16 says, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you the strength with power through His Spirit in your inner being that God might give you strength and power, that you might do that which is pleasing in His sight, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of, God, of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just a couple of chapters back, the Apostle Paul speaks to the nature of our love of God and of the work that God does within us by the inner strengthening which is given by God in verse 16, by our faith in Christ. And then in 18 and 19, he says, being rooted and grounded, grasping the bigness of knowing that the uh, the love of Christ is towards me and towards His people. So... You are called, you are commanded, you are expected to, to love your wives. And that is, by the way, something that mothers and fathers both need to be teaching their little boys, that this is how we understand uh, relationship between men and women, and that, you know, if God gives you a husband when you get older, or if God gives you a wife when you get older, then this is how God tells us that that relationship should be, because Our children and our grandchildren are burdened down with a a great deal of misinformation and deceit and lies and those things which would be destructive to their future home life unless God should be merciful to them. So taking up the task of fulfilling Scripture's command, love your wives, we would have the men of the church be aware of this and the little ones being learning this, Uh, As we understand that that love is to be something that is sacrificial, laying down our lives for our loved ones, not giving in and not playing the silly little games that men and women like to play as they drag themselves through life, but doing what God says in a sacrificial manner. Whatever it costs me with the help of God, I will do this that my wife may grow and mature and flourish and be such a one as is, is pleasing in the eyes of God. I am to love her in such a way that it's good for her. That is not the same thing as saying, I will love her in such a way as she wants me to. That which is good for her, again, is defined by Holy Scripture. We are given the task of fulfilling that which is to her benefit. Not, not intending to make a, a one-to-one connection, but you see this kind of thinking being dealt with throughout so many other places in our life. With our children, we don't say, well, whatever you want is good for you. They may say that or be delighted that you have somehow lost your mind and said it yourself. But that is not, that is not the truth. What is good for her? It is good for her that she should love her children, that she should love me, that she should uh, be faithful to her calling before the Lord, that she should be obedient to God, that she should be a she should be a godly woman, uh, sharing her life with other women and others around her, that she might be able to encourage and build up. She is. Sacri- he is sacrificial in his love, he is seeking to do her good, and we are drawn finally to remind her that this is not about you. The happy little family is a glorious thing when it's. Happiness that is resting upon the word of God, we recognize that this is to display God. The Mormons, in the past, did much more of this than I believe they do now. I don't see it, and boy, was I shocked recently, a year or two ago, when the Mormons came by my house in a car. I, was, I told the guy, I said, I'm very disappointed. That uh, you know, where's the bicycle? He said, well, we found out we can get around to more houses if we use a car. And I'm thinking, I knew that when I was 16. <laughs> that obviously, that's why none of us came to the church tonight with a bicycle. But anyway, in my conversation with them, and you watch their little commercials on television about what wonderful families they have, of course they're not telling the truth. Uh, we recognize that the only way that there can be a glorification of God in our marriages as if we do the things that God has said to do and to trust that He will bless our efforts. We will stumble. We will fall. You will have difficulties. You will have arguments. You will have extreme moments of selfishness and all manner of sin. And yet, even in the midst of struggles, we get up, we proceed forward, We repent, we confess our sins one to another, and we take up the place that God has given to us to have so that husbands are to be respected by their wives and are to be obedient unto them. And husbands, love your wife in the manner, in this manner in which Christ has loved his church. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would show us mercy. We are too often so selfish, so careless, that we continue to wander away from that which is right in your eyes. Not for our glory and not for the church's glory, but for your glory we pray, Lord, that our marriages might flourish in light of that which you have called us to do that we would see our sins and repent of them and that we would labor faithfully in the marriage and in the home and with the children in such a way as to bring glory to Yourself. Help us to be sacrificial. Help us to seek good for our wives and help us, O Lord, to bring praise to You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.